Uh, yeah. Have you got a favorite plant? Oh, fuck, I completely forgot my <laughs> favorite plant. Uh, you might want to find one. Um, Go find your book. Ah, <laughs> uh, yoram, 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 yoram. Five minutes later. Just like that. I wish I could prepare every topic in a minute. But it would also, like, then all my topics would sound like topics I prepared in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe it's not the best, the best way to do it. Okay. Hello to a new episode of the Plants and Pipettes podcast. Hello and welcome. This is my, I realized I'm doing many different media things now, um, like video production and stuff. And I really, I always say hello and welcome. Even in German, English doesn't matter. It's always like hello and welcome to. But in the German ones, you say it in English? No, I say hello and willkommen. Yeah, beautiful. Maybe yeah. we should start, like that's how we should start Plants and Pipettes as well. Yeah, in German. Yeah. People immediately be like, what is this? I didn't sign up for a German podcast. Mm. <coughs> Learning German with Jarm and Tegan. Unsubscribe. I can teach terrible German, Jarm can teach proper German. Hauptdeutsch. <laughs> yeah. Hi. Well, <laughs> so, how have you been? This will be released after our summer break. What, yeah. what will you have done I in the summer break that's coming up now? <laughs> slept a lot. I have had a heavy couple of, I mean, heavy months, but heavy couple of weeks. Especially last week I had two presentations one in my like my lab group and then kind of the same presentation at least but um in front of the entire institute um the day afterwards and just like the stress of getting like some nice results I was looking forward to show for that um not really managing to get everything I mean it's always the case like whenever you have time pressure things don't like experiments don't work as you want them to but then if you don't have time pressure you're like oh I can do that later because I have like 8,000 other things I have to do now so on one hand I, I need these deadlines because they help me get shit done but on the other hand like yeah. oh it's just so stressful and then I mean at the moment I'm looking for jobs as well so I've been doing job applications and this is kind of this weird um non-linear process where you're like applying for one job and meanwhile the second job is kind of in a different phase and then there's a new application coming like a new ad coming out for something new and it's again just like juggling and like kind of trying to move forward these things at all different paces and this and is your jobs all have like several levels of of application right yeah so, so i'm there's one i'm applying for now and it had first an application like just which didn't imply uh, didn't include only the cv and the cover letter but you also had to um write a short script um with like some like kind of a bit like what we're doing for the blog so at least that was helpful but this this kind of thing and then once you got through that there was a phone interview and then once you got through the phone interview there was an at-home test which um involved like taking three different manuscripts um and evaluating those writing again short summaries of each manuscript writing the pros and cons of each manuscript and then writing whether you would recommend them for a review and also who should review them if you recommend them so this is quite like and of course that came on the weekend when my parents were visiting from australia and we had a family fun writing so i was like trying to do this on the train like like this train ricocheting around the the track so it's like oh it's been stressful. That's my yeah. You should. You can start in a circus the way you're juggling things right now. Yay! So now we're taking a summer break from the blog for one week. Um, this will come out after that. But um, I'm also taking a break and going to the mountains in Italy and hopefully sleeping, playing with my friends' cats, um, oh, yeah. maybe doing some hiking, eating a lot of food. Just yeah. In my summer <sighs> break, the first thing I'm 
uh, it will be my first week in on parental leave without a job, and I'm looking so much forward to this. This is my like, last couple of weeks now. So you've also been having a crazy few yeah. weeks of just like getting stuff done before this big deadline. Like uh, yeah, yeah, it's just like the last day at work where suddenly lots of things that yeah suddenly th- some things fell into place and needed to be done immediately, and so. Uh, work that could have easily been spread out over two months is now being done in like two and a half weeks and um, yeah that's quite stressful especially now that like if I'm lucky I can like or a good day is like six hours of work and also taking care of the baby but now I'm more close to like eight to ten hours and it's just I'm, and that I, baby just doesn't go away does it <laughs> yeah <laughs> Turns out the baby's still there. <laughs> get up at six in the morning and go to bed at like half past midnight and then repeat for a couple of days but only until tomorrow yeah and then i'm free and then yeah then summer break and lots of good bonding time with your little boy and yeah that will be that will be really nice i'm yeah. really looking forward to that <sighs> we hope you guys are all having a very nice summer and yes. you have nice weather and good ice cream and Send or or a nice winter if you're on the other side of the world. If you took any pictures of plants on your holidays, just send them our way. We always appreciate like nice. We will pictures. not be able to identify them because we no. are not that kind of podcast. No, no, just send them our way so we can enjoy them. We can tell you if they're pretty or not, um, and if they're not pretty, we'll tell you very bluntly that you have taken ugly plant photos and you should be ashamed <laughs> of yourself. That's pretty much our skill level. Every like I put like a lot of photos on the Instagram stories, and every now and then somebody's like, "Hey, what is it?" And I'm like, uh, "I don't know." Like, <laughs> like it's, it's not Arabidopsis. Is like my only statement I can I can basically make. Like, prettiest beautiful eye. Yeah. Plant. Look, it's, it's blue. Like, <laughs> why do you need more than that? Like, look at the pretty blue flowers. Uh. Sometimes I think we're the best and the worst uh, plant podcast at the same time. Yeah, probably the worst. Yeah. But there's like there's some good. I mean, we're not a botany podcast. There's a really nice one called In Defense of Plants, yeah. and their website is amazing. Like they just have um, different featured plants, um, and yeah, yeah. This I would recommend if you want botany and like actual knowledge of plants, go there. Don't come to us. Yeah, we're here for the molecules, and the molecules are similar and different in all of the plants. But we don't have like we know the names of molecules that some botanists probably don't. But sometimes we don't also. Yeah, and we we definitely can't pronounce them. And sometimes we hide them behind acronyms <laughs> to <laughs> show that we don't know anything about it. So let's start into a paper where we don't know nothing about anything. Yeah. It's the paper of the week. Oh, what happened to the singing, Yoram? This it's is the paper of the week. No, the we had that last time as well. The okay, Yoram is like, also remixing thing. our our songs. No. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, okay. is, what is the paper of the week, Tegan? It's my turn for the paper of the week. And as I said, I was crazy busy this week. So I will admit that I chose this week's paper of the week based on the title and based entirely on one word in the title. <laughs> and that word, my friends, is Patronus. <laughs> Way. Um, so the, the paper came out in PNAS, um, I think last month or even this month. The authors are Chroma et al. Um, from the Institut Jean-Pierre Bourgon. I want to say. That sounds quite good. Sure. Somewhere in um, Paris, actually in Versailles, in France. Hmm. And the paper is called Patronus is the elusive plant securin, preventing chromosome separation by antagonizing separase. So I guess we'll go into that. So we have, we have a Patronus. It's an we antagonistic have, Patronus. Yeah, we have. <laughs> it's Voldemort's Patronus. Do sure. we, did we ever know what Voldemort's Patronus is from the books? I, th- I don't think he needs a Patronus because he's like pro-Demeter, right? Yeah. Dementor? But he was... No, he wasn't an Azkaban. Anyway, back to the plant facts. 
As you can tell, I chose this paper because of the Harry Potter reference. I stand by that choice. I love it when people give um, their proteins or their mutants of interest cool names. And I really love it when um, there's like a cluster of things. So like one example is with the stomata and the the guard cells that surround stomata the mutants which have defects in like stomatal development they're they're called things like scream and speechless and like depending on how like the little plant looks so i love it when you start getting these like and there's like also um scarecrow and and lion or, or something like cowardly lion there's like these kind of like things where people build clusters of um of names and the original one kind of has a link to the function and then after that sometimes it's just like a link to the the other proteins which are, are involved and firstly it's fun it's like nerdy fun but it's fun and secondly it makes it so much easier to remember what the hell is happening when so much better than just like uh, defense involved protein one or something yeah diff then, one <laughs> like, yeah. what is a diff it could be like domain of inverted function or like yeah yeah and actually that's the thing like half of the proteins which i mean most proteins that haven't been characterized they do have these stupid names where it's like domain of unknown function or like we're just something uh, like ABC family, like ABC transporter family, where you're like, oh, this is yeah, and then just counting up a, a, a numer um, like a numeral to like 12, 13 or so, and then you have like a giant family, and they sometimes differ quite a bit in the individual function, but they all sound the same. So, thank you for Patronus. <laughs> yes, thank you to Chroma et al. for bringing Patronus into our life. Um, so this is basically a protein that is involved in keeping things working and having the proper separation of the chromosomes when you go through mitosis and meiosis. So just as a reminder of mitosis and meiosis, you have these different phases, prophase, PM metaphase, anaphase, and then telophase. So in prophase, you basically get the, the doubling of each chromosome. Mm -hmm. So everything goes from looking like a kind of noodle, like an I, to looking like an X because it's now yeah. doubled itself. Um, and then in the next phase, which is the meta phase, you have everything lining up at the center. And then in uh, anaphase and telophase, you have things getting pulled apart. And that's where there's a little bit of difference between mitosis and meiosis, because um, in the lining up meta phase in meiosis, you have um, not just everything lining in single fire, but you have the two sister um, chroma, so the homo homologous pairs lining together. Yep. And then in meiosis, in the first separation, you just get... Um, one of the X's going one way and one of the X's going the other way. And then in the next division, you get those X's splitting back into eyes again. But in mitosis already in the first one, you have single file and then they get split into the eyes again. But basically this um, being together and then getting split up, it's quite important. So yeah. if they don't get split properly, you get obviously quite some... Yeah, you get um, gen genetic defects. And um, in human biology, we know like the uh, tri tri what is the trisomy? Yeah, th exactly. That's um, like a separation issue then. That's when uh, they line up and they get pulled apart, but they don't properly separate and suddenly one of the cells end up with um, twice the chromosomes, uh, mm -hmm. with like both ones that are supposed to be separated. And then when they end up in, like and when then they, they get fertilized and so on, then you have uh, genetic defects in the organism that exists, uh, uh, that develops then. And, and actually, and almost all forms of trisomy, so this is when you have three instead of two copies of the chromosome, are lethal. So the ones that we yeah. know, it's like Down syndrome and there's something, the I one think there's other. there's another one. And these thing. are actually the mildest forms of trisomy yeah. and this is why like people can, and animals can survive if they have this. But with most forms, it's completely lethal and you don't get any development yeah. of the embryo. It's an absolutely crucial step to have proper separation. Yeah, so um, altogether, this is kind of called aneuploidy. So it's basically when you have the, the wrong ploidy, the, the wrong number of um, chromosomes, the wrong amount of genetic material 
in some of the mm-hmm. offspring. So it's super important that everything's like the, the two different um, chromatids are being held together at the right stage, but it's also very important that when then they need to get ripped apart, that they also stop being held together. Yeah. And there's kind of a cohesion which keeps them together. And it's very important that this cohesion dissolves then basically. At so the it way. has to be like a very specified glue that is sticking at a certain point and then not sticking anymore. Yeah, well, basically it's an enzyme which comes in and triggers the, the separation. Yeah. So it comes in and is like, okay, now let's cut up this cohesion and let everything like go about a separate way um and the enzyme is called separase which (laughs) is also conveniently named for all of us um and this is conserved across basically all kingdoms so you find separase in fungi in animals and in plant and yeah it it just cleaves one of the i think it's the cleason i'm not sure how you pronounce that one of the parts of the 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 cohesion the cohesion and then allows the um the cohesive ring to separate and allows these guys to then be pulled to separate parts. And mm-hmm. if you don't have the separase, you won't get this um, breaking up. And separase is involved, as I said, everywhere in all um, organisms, but not just in mitosis, but also in meiosis. So you basically need it. Yeah, Very, very important. So because of how important this separase enzyme is, it's not just important that it's there, but it's also very important that it's turned on and off at the right time. So as I said, you don't want to have the separase triggering this breakdown of the joining too early because then things are not lining up properly and like going half and half you might get like yeah miss num the wrong number getting pulled and you don't want it to come too late because then i mean you've kept things stuck together so the timing is very important so um in 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 animals at least it's controlled by something called securin Um, and these are antagonistic. So basically, securin stops um, separates from working. Um, and then at a certain point, securin gets degraded and then the separates is, separates is released and is able to do its mm-hmm. breaking down. So these are basically like a, a one-to-one ratio, not one-to-one ratio, but one-to-one relationship where this guy stops this, this one at the right time. And that's yep. basically how the timing is defined, right? Um, and there's some, other, there's some other guys which are also involved in, in keeping this this cohesion happening or not happening but securing is kind of one of the the main thing that's known the problem is you can't find any securin in a rabidopsis um and these people like okay so there is separase but there's no securin so how the hell is this separase getting like how yeah how is it controlled yeah what is blocking it to to not act prematurely yeah um and one of the problems is that securin itself is largely unstructured so often when we're trying to find um, homologs or orthologs, things that are like mm-hmm. the same protein in different species, we look at the amino acid sequence or the structure of the protein, but this protein doesn't have a lot of structure. It's not very well defined. Um, so basically it's been defined by its function or its biochemical activity, but it means it's quite hard to find it when you're looking across species. Um, so there's no common motives that... that can- not not a lot there's not a lot of stuff so i mean if you're trying to blast against uh, uh check against the whole genome what looks similar to this thing you might just not find it because oh, yeah. it's like yeah and and this is really like a bit of a complicated issue because we say like these proteins look the same but they might have like 30 percent sequence similarity at the amino acid level but they might be like exactly identical but there's there's, there's kind of a it's not just a yes or no it's a bit of a a gray zone and you also have extremes in any direction right you have things that look very similar but in just some distinct places they're different enough that they that they have a different function and then you have other things where like 
if you remember the the codon code for the amino acids, you could have every third amino acid or every third place in the genetic information could be a very different thing to still code for the same amino acid. And even if you look on an amino acid level, you have some like redundancies in there. So you could have very different amino acids uh, or in the code that it looks very different, but the overall function is very similar. Yeah, because it could maybe it makes like it just needs to be structurally the same, and then you have completely different like sequence but the structure ends up being the same and it still like fits in the nook it needs to fit into or yeah whatever the situation is yeah so um the work in this paper is follow up from the same group at least the same first author which came out in current biology in 2013 and there they used um a genetic screen to um look for a novel actor that's essential for the persistent of this um cohesion so that keeps the cohesion happening until the place um, where it needs to be removed, basically. And they called it Patronus in that um, paper. That's where the name came. And it's basically this Patronus means protector in Latin. So that's where, I mean, you know, like J.K. Rowling, all of her names are... I thought she was so clever, but she's just taking <laughs> Latin and Greek words. And this we knew, yes. <laughs> slightly mumbling them and being like, oh, this is a spell now. Yes. And this is actually... Um, part of the theme so there's there's already um, another gene that's associated which also has a, a role that's um, linked to being a protector so this is what I said about these like mm -hmm. associated genes having similar names anyway um, yeah they found that it has this protective um, role uh, they found that the inner rabbitopsis there's two different Patronuses so Patronus 1 and Patronus 2 um, Patronus 1 seems to be the main one it's maybe more expressed or something but um, basically if you knock that out you have more severe defects and if you knock Patronus 2 out so Patronus 2 is like a minor allele which means it's 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 kind of it's doing the same thing but it's less important but there's some functional um, redundancy so basically you need to have Patronus um, but you can knock one of them out and not completely kill the plant because there's a second one um, yeah. yeah that's what I thought when you first introduced it that studying these um, securins or in general, any knockouts related to the separation of the chromosomes must be extremely hard because once you knock them out, you have a breakdown of mitosis and also meiosis and you can't, yeah, the plant can't grow. Mm -hmm. So yeah. yeah, this system, like they're lucky that there's two of them that are redundant to a point that the plant might be very sick, but still survives the experiment. Yeah, so they said there was like a lot of other growth defects apart. So there's like this, this role at meiosis, which is very important. Um, but also a lot of other um, growth defects and especially under different stresses, then they think that this is related to having more stressful situations make it harder to just to do normal meiotic division. And mm -hmm. then the extra stress of, let's say, having high uh, temperature put on an already like stressed out meiotic division um, system causes yeah. bigger problems. But yeah, they have to, um, and I think the double, yeah, the double knockout was lethal, but um, so they couldn't get double knockouts of um, Patronus 1 and Patronus 2. But um, there's some redundancy there. Again, they have a little bit of a problem where these Patronuses are also not super well conserved in even dicots alone. So mm -hmm. um, this is a, a flowering plant group which make um, two cotyledons. So when they come out of the seed, they have like two small leaves. Um, the other is, is monocots. So most of the grasses belong to the monocot division um, and pretty much everything else is a yeah. <laughs> I mean most tree species are dicots and a lot of the things you think about like tomato yeah. and arabidopsis these are all dicots but um yeah but even um within this kind of subgroup of angiosperms the flowering plants they're not super well conserved um so this kind of again comes back to the difficulty in assigning the actual function of this guy do the monocots have the securins because no. we 
Okay, so are there, the Securians just don't exist in the plant world or they just don't exist in the angiosperms? Uh, I think in the entirety of the plant world too. I, I didn't okay. in the introduction. I think they said they found them in in animals, and I think also in yeast, but I think not in anything green. But they did say in they did say like specifically Arabidopsis. So I guess they started looking at Arabidopsis. They're like it's yeah. not here, um, but it sounds like it's not there. And even in so with this Patronus, when they were looking beyond the dicots into the monocots, so in rice, for example, they found something that looked a little bit similar, and it's actually a. Um, salt it was already a characterized gene and it was characterized as being a salt sensitive gene which also matches with this idea that their patronus mutants are like more upset under stress yeah but even this guy is not so similar that you look at it and you're like hey you're the same one it's like mm -hmm. probably similar but i mean this one also has some problems with cell cycle so they think that's the monocot version but it's 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 a shifty little family of proteins like they're kind of a, a bastard <laughs> yeah um, so they wanted to try and characterize this Patronus to see how it's actually involved in this cohesion um, idea. And basically, they're different characterizations. They want to see if they can give it the same identity as this securin. They want to see if it really is functionally similar to what the securin um, does. So one of the first things they did is look at a part of the, of the Patronus which is a small sequence which is called a destruction box. Which <laughs> destruction box. I really like. And it's just like a little bit of sequence which allows recognition by a different complex. The complex is called the anaphase promoting complex. But basically, if the destruction box is recognized, then this complex comes and is like, hey, you've got to be degraded now. Okay. So they then mutated this destruction box, which basically means that the um, Patronus protein hangs around so it can't get destroyed at the right cell cycle. So at this anaphase point, it doesn't get... Yeah. degraded and they just wanted to see like so that would mean that the separates then like the hypothesis would be that the separates then uh, can't be active because it's still blocked by this securin like patronus right yes. if i understood it's, it's hanging of, exactly it's hanging around now for too long it yeah. should be and it's sort of a blocker of the separates and then the chromosomes can separate pro problems and we should see something something yeah and basically they did that they put the this broken destruction box patronus in and they had full sterility of the plants. So the plants were just like... So they couldn't go through meiosis, couldn't go into like the, the part of cell division that leads to the next generation. Yeah. But the rest of the plant was like... The rest of the plant was also not so that great. So as I mentioned there, this again is hinting that it's not only involved in meiosis, but also in mitosis. Um, so they also had growth defects and these were like quite variable from plant to plant, mm -hmm. but they had um, some really, really sick plants and some which looked um, less, less bad. Um, and yeah, they basically saw that there was weird, so they looked at the, the cell, they did some like live imaging stuff and they saw that there was some weird chromosome configuration happening in these mm -hmm. mutants um, and there wasn't a proper separation of these homologous chromosomes at meiosis. So they're just kind of confirming that, okay, the, the plants are sterile, so something's obviously wrong with meiosis, but when we actually look, we can physically see that there's something wrong with the chromosome separation um, in these plants. And as I said, they, they use this live imaging, so they just like, putting a plant, putting some plant cells under a microscope and like watching them as they go through these different phases. Um, and they did it on the, the male myocytes. So basically um, male cells, which are going to become the, se the sex cells, the gametes. Yeah. So ones which are about to go under meiosis. Yeah. Um, and they, they tagged a, a protein that's involved in um, formation of this, uh, this sticky part in the middle the cohesin and they tagged this to see if it was hanging around and basically what they could see is in the the mutants this 
cohesion didn't get didn't leave at mm -hmm. anaphase so it should like start to fade away as it gets destroyed during anaphase so that the things can get pulled apart and in the mutant it basically just hung around so you could always see the the fluorescent signal of this so that could mean that the, the separase can't is not cutting it down it's not degrading it and that might be because the separase is still blocked where it's, it's still supposed to because, be unblocked yeah because the the patronus is not getting yeah. removed to unblock yeah, yeah so it's this like feedback loop bullshit <laughs> yeah with these biochemical system it's always they have to think about like okay which one is the blocking part which is the activating part what happens if this is too much or too little and you always have to think of the whole chain of of events because you can't often like directly i guess they didn't tag the separates because for some reason it's not possible um, to see what happens to the separates uh, so that they had to read out of the target of the separates and so it's sort of mm -hmm. once removed from the thing that it's actually interacting and this is very common in molecular biology right yeah to like make this link and i'm very glad you're here making the link because for me i'm trying to like list the experiments they did and then i have to go back to like it, it's good that you're yeah. then yeah. <laughs> like interpreting the results as i'm trying to yeah, um, and, and, yeah because i try to like follow <laughs> and visualize like where on this, this chain of things where's the readout where's the thing that we change and how do they like interlock yeah so perfectly you have um a patronus that's not getting degraded the patronus is not getting degraded therefore the separate is not getting activated therefore this cohesin protein is hanging around and therefore you have these problems where there's not separation of the chromatids yeah Perfect. On top of um, this visual phenotype, they also noticed that when metaphase was going through, it was like kind of weird. So it was taking like completely arbitrary amounts of time. Sometimes it will take 40 minutes and sometimes it will take four hours to go through. And I think this is just basically that everything is getting screwed up in the, the cell yeah. and the plant is, I mean, often there's a lot of these um, checkpoints and feedback and there's some sort of yeah. like uh, like yeah, stuttering have, of the plant they have to some conditions have to be met they sort of like the checkboxes have to all be met and then they can initiate the next phase and yeah if something is disturbed there it might take a long time until the checkboxes are all filled yeah but basically they said that these um what they saw here really suggests that the patronus is required for the release of the cohesin um and therefore, it does seem to show a similar regulation as you have with the securin in animals. So they say, okay, it looks like it's it's functionally similar mm -hmm. to securin. But they still had to check these other um, genes, which are supposed to also be involved in protecting the cohesion. So as I mentioned at the, the very start in, in plants, there are a few other players who might be involved. And these guys are called shugoshin, um, which is a Japanese word. Mm -hmm. And it means guardian. So <laughs> these are also protectors, like the Patronus. Um, and they seem to be like evolutionary conserved. They protect, again, the cystochromatid cohesion against the separase um, during certain stages of the the mitosis. And, um, uh, the meiosis, sorry. In Arabidopsis, there's two Shugoshin genes, one and two. Um, and when you have a double mutant, so when you've lost both of those genes, you have this loss of cohesion at anaphase. But unlike the um, Patronus, they don't seem to have a role in um, somatic cells. So they don't seem to be so involved in, okay. in mitosis. Um, they wanted to see basically if Patronus and uh, Shugoshin were involved in the same pathway or if they were doing kind of separate things. And from the plant point of view, separate would actually be better, I think, because... Mm -hmm. you have two different pathways that are now protecting which means you've got like a double protection yeah. but if they're just involved in the same pathway then either way if some, one of them gets buggered you lose the whole pathway yeah. and then yeah so they made of course a double mutant or actually a triple mutant so they knocked out both of the um, 
Shugoshin jeans and then they put the knockout of the the Patronus one on top of that. So now you've like lost basically both of these pathways or, or both of these these functions of these both genes. Um, and they could find that in the the single Patronus one mutant and also in this the double um, Shugoshin mutant, um, everything was kind of okay at Metaphase. So you had these um, chromatids in their X form, which is called bivalence, all lined up uh, perfectly at Metaphase one. And this seemed to be okay during the, the, the meiosis. But once you had the triple mutant, suddenly basically nothing is lined up. There's no longer Xs. They're all kind of separated from each other and they're kind of okay. individual, like they're doing their own thing. Which means that they might be separate pathways, right? Yep. Because, so because they I'll could take it, uh, are redundant to each other and could take the, the work of the other. Yep. But they can't, like when you knock all of them out, then there's nothing left to take over the yep, work. Yeah, both of the two pathways are gone now when you've, you've got yeah. the triple mutant. Um, and they also use this triple mutant to look at the timing when they might be involved. So they could see that in prophase, so before metaphase, everything was kind of okay. There was cohesion, but somewhere in pro-metaphase or early metaphase one, there seemed to be, these pathways seem to be yeah. very important. And when you don't have them, that's when things start going to chaos and all of these X's are just like floating apart from each other. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. They then also tried expressing this uh, Patronus version, which didn't have the destruction box, so the Patronus, uh, which hangs around for too long, in the background of the Shugoshin double mutant. Okay, so yeah, so one of the pathways is knocked out, and the other pathway has now sort of a problem that the 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 separates is blocked for too long. Yeah, and what happens then? And then you have this prevention of the chromosome separation. So now you've got back again this this blockage forming, okay. and this sort of says that even when there's not the the other glue, this guy is enough to overglue things. Yeah. So it suggests once again that they have different functions. So yeah, because if it was again in the same pathway, then the lack of glue and the, the overglue might kind of cancel each other out. But because it's two different pathways, maybe there's yeah just too much glue so altogether basically it says that the patronus one is acting independently of this shugoshin so they found a new not a new pathway because like the, the pathway of the separates was known but they found a new completely new player independent of other systems with the patronus yeah it seems to have independent function which as i said it makes it makes sense for the plan it's, it's nice to have like yeah especially given how important this is as we said if, if you screw things up here you're pretty much going for embryo lethality or yeah, yeah sterility so this is a really important thing to control so they then wanted to see um what interacted with patronus one so this is what we come back to the separates we think it should be interacting with the yeah. separates if it has the same function as a securin but we don't know and they did this in a non-biased way so instead of like starting with the separates and seeing if it like connected with the patronus they started with the patronus mutant and then they basically blasted that mutant with radiation to look mm -hmm. for suppressors. Okay, so the blues radiation that to in, to bring. I, I lie. It's not radiation. It's EMS. So it's, it's EMS another a way chemical, of but yeah, so chemical random mutagen. genetic mutations, and then look in like a big population of offspring for things that are suppressing the mutation. So yep. things that are not affected by the bro like the like uh, the the protein that hangs around for too long. So something that can compensate for that. 
right? They, you said they brought them in the mutant, like in the. But it's not the one that can um, hang so around for too long. Ah, it's the, the one that doesn't have the Patronus. Sorry, ah, okay. I wasn't right there. In the Patronus knockout. So for something, it can complement the Patronus knockout. Yeah. So the idea is that by knocking out Patronus, you get a certain phenotype. And in this case, they looked at a root growth defect on high um, sodium chloride, so on high salt. Which is very easy to screen for. Super easy to screen for. Um, and the idea is, okay, if you knock out the Patronus, you get this defect. But if the defect is coming because it's regulating something else, and when you knock it out, it's misregulated. If you then misregulate this other guy, like if you knock the second guy out, you might actually lose the phenotype. Yeah, It's like a negative times a negative then makes everything look kind of better again in yeah. some ways. Um, so as I said, they use this root growth defect on sodium chloride, which as you said, super easy to screen for and they screened lots of these plants and then they had also a second phenotype which is that um the patronus mutant has slightly shorter they, they use the word fruits but i think they mean like the siliques of mm -hmm. the of the arabidopsis so they could then kind of confirm the the root phenotype once the plants were in the greenhouse to see if it's like yeah really a suppressor and in the end they got eight plants which kind of fulfilled these criteria that's that's i guess from a couple of hundred yeah, but still, yeah. it's a pretty good quota from judging from like random mutagenesis. It's always a big gamble if you actually find something. I think the thing is with these random mutagenesis, you hit a lot of genes. So like, yeah, but then to find in all of these hits the one that's not completely like you can't re like you can uh, calculate a little bit how many mutations in your genome you will have based on the concentration of the chemical, and therefore you can play around that you hit not too many genes at the same time, mm -hmm. but still being finding a, a system where you hit your suppressor thing to see the phenotype, but don't hit anything else that causes a different, yeah. more severe phenotype. Um, like, it's a couple of different probabilities that you that you multiply. I think that's why you also want to have some, like, a bit more specific criteria. So you don't want to just have, yeah. it's a bit small. You want to have, like, it specifically has short roots on high sodium, not just, like, it yeah. has... This, this is a, something a little bit more specific that it's, it's yeah. really your gene. But also I should mention that these repressor mutants, they don't fully repress the phenotype. So they have like some restoration of the wild type, but not full restoration yeah. in the general term. Um, and then of course they looked in these repressor mutants to see that it's actually um, fixing the phenotype also at the level of the chromosome. So they saw that there was, um, yeah, some compensation again at the chromosome level so again not complete but you got some fixing of these problems that we had in the patronus mutant at the chromosome level um and again the suppressor mutants that could suppress the patronus uh, mutation couldn't suppress the shugoshin uh, mutation mm -hmm. which again is showing that they're from different pathways yeah so yeah this was just a next wave com um, confirmation and then they did whole genome sequencing on uh these eight different mutants or suppressor mutants that they found and four of the eight of them turned out to be mutants in the separase genes. Okay. So this was like super cool. Like the, the thing that's directly downstream of the Patronus looks to be the yeah. separase. But I what do we need to really... Yeah, so how are the separases mutated? Do they go into that? They do go into that. I didn't, I didn't really okay. include it here, but there's, there was different things. And some of them were in like these really conserved motives of the separases, which they know have like functional importance. So this was like a clear mm -hmm. sign. Um, and a few different things. And it basically also correlated with the severity or the the degree to which the um, restoration happened, right? So it, so, so it broke down, the, like the, the separates became less efficient at its job and therefore it came sort of in like this green zone where the plant does better. Mm -hmm. um, because now like 
the it's not properly like on and off anymore uh, but it's like sort of in between yeah the and on switch is broken but the off switch is also broken now yeah. or the other way around actually in this case but yeah yeah and so it's like sort of an intermediate activity and that's enough for mm -hmm. the rescue and as I said, it's not perfect rescue, but it was enough to yeah. um, do something. Okay, so now they have this idea that it probably is a separate, which I'm sure they were super happy about because that's what they wanted to see. Um, and, they, and I really liked that they did it in a clean way, that they didn't go straight to the separate, yeah. but they kind of first did this like random um, mutagenesis and yeah. it's 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 less biased. And usually as scientists, we're quite biased when we have an idea of what we want yeah, to a, see. And a standard method would have been like a, a BIF essay or something where you have like a fluorescence. I probably like take Which is next. From. No, it's perfect. I mean, so once you have this idea that there is a relationship, it doesn't show that there's a, a direct relationship still. Yeah. So the next thing they did was try to find if there's a direct physical interaction, not only like in, uh, in vitro, so in a uh, test tube, but also inside the plant. And here they did many different things. The first of which is a protein pull down, which Yaram is going to explain because he did a lot of protein pull downs. Yeah, protein pull downs were my favorite, most hated method. <laughs> um, because in general, the idea is quite cool. You tag your, your protein, like in this case, it would be um, the Patronus protein. You, yeah. you tag it and you uh, immobilize it on something. It could be like agar or I use magnetic beads, so tiny particles that are magnetic that I can... And then I wash down the cell lysate um, uh, across my immobilized protein. And the idea is then anything that naturally interacts with it would stick and hang around longer. And then with like careful washing and the right buffer concentrations, the guys that would uh, naturally interact, they would hang out, uh, hang around there, would be uh, become concentrated. And later on, I can wash both, both of them from my magnetic beads and then analyze them. And this is like in theory, it's a nice setup. In reality, it's often a very dirty setup and you have to be very careful with interpretation of the results, which still means it's a it's quite powerful, mm. but be careful when you <laughs> use it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So they were really happy with this um, method because the first thing that they pulled down was this um, anaphase complex, which they know interacts with the destruction box. So that's what we mentioned before, mm -hmm. this thing that degrades Patronus. So, yeah. Perfect. Good. They found that. And the second thing they pulled down was the separase. And this is now some evidence that there can be direct interaction, but also that this interaction can theoretically happen in vivo, so inside the plant. And then on top of this, they also did yeast to hybrid. Um, Which Europe? is another system <laughs> that I also happen to use. Yeah. Um, where then now, now, like, we leave the test tube like the on, and the plant system like in the in the pull down you do that with a plant extract depending on where you're looking for um, you enrich the area where you expect your your targets to be and then wash that across there and then now in the yeast system you go into yeast and there you just express the half of uh, you express your protein candidate and a potential interactor so in this case you're the patronus and um, the separase and they both of them are attached to half a transcription factor and if these two, if they two interact, the two transcription factor halves come together and it gives the yeast the ability to survive on certain media. Mm -hmm. And then you screen it on different media and you get growth of the yeast. And then you can see like when the yeast growth grows, your uh, proteins interact. So this is showing again that they can interact physically with each other and directly. And then they also did BIFC. <laughs> BIFC. <laughs> this is like, I never used that, but I um, I heard mixed things about it. It's like, it's a good thing to have it in a mix, but it should never be used alone because there you do the same thing as in yeast, but you do that in the plant cell mm -hmm. um, and they are attached instead of a transcription factor half, they have a, um, a fluorescent protein half. And then the fluorescent protein um, comes together when the two proteins interact and then you can measure fluorescence from that. 
The problem here is that these things can um, have, they're not a tight system. So they can, you can, depending on your conditions that you look at that and are excited with the laser, you can get fluorescent even if the proteins are not interacting. So mm. con here it's... And it's I think it's definitely not good to say that there's a direct interaction yeah. because if there's a complex being formed via other interactions, you'll still yes. get the fluorescence. That's that's really not... Yeah, the, the distance that they have to come together is, is pretty large actually. So you can get fluorescent signals much earlier than you would actually uh, have direct interaction so in a mix like here in a couple of methods it's a it's a great tool mm. but i've um, seen some papers where they pretty much just did that and then you always have to be a little bit careful and i think that's what they say like for these um interaction studies you always you can't just do yeast too high but you can't just do but if you like can't two just two or three methods you minimum. need multiple yeah methods yeah. but they did all the methods so yeah well done them they did pull downs um they didn't do reciprocal pull downs they did pull downs um they did use two hybrid and they did bifc um and all of this basically suggests that there is a physical interaction directly with the Patronus and the separase. And they also, from the yeast to hybrids, instead of putting the entire um, separase protein, um, you can just put parts of the protein to see which parts of the protein are interacting with which other parts of the other protein. And from that, they said that it's probably the end terminal of the separase, which is interacting with the little Patronus guys. Okay, so we're almost done. The final thing they wanted to look at is basically how similar the Bretronus is with the securins, which they're functionally yeah. similar now we know, but why couldn't we find them just by looking for similar sequences by doing this this um, blasting, which is basically where you take your sequence and you throw it up and look for every other sequence across ever, every other species. Yeah, and see. look for similarities. And it's like a very, is that, I don't know how complicated the algorithm is, but it's a very smart algorithm that you don't just look for exactly the same sequence, but for sequences that are similar. And you can do it using either just the nucleotides, um, so the, the DNA, or you can do it using um, the proteins, so the amino yeah. acid sequence as well, which can be helpful. It's not so good for structural things where there's no sequence similarity, but there's structural similarities. Um, and as I said, like before with these uh, coming from the securin side, they couldn't really see the Patronuses, but now they're coming from the Patronus side and they did something which is kind of like an iterative blast. So instead of, first you start with the Patronus and instead of putting the Patronus against all other species, you just look for the Arabidopsis Patronus and you compare it to other things in its family. Mm -hmm. So maybe other Brassicaceae. And then you take all of these guys, like you say, you say five or six of them, and then you go out one more step. So now you're looking oh, across yeah. all of the, the dicots and then you look across the monocots and then each time you kind of use the port, this is at least what I understood. I, I, please tell me if I'm wrong authors, but this is <laughs> iterative blast, which is like blasting outwards. So then you're saying, okay, from um, the dicots to the monocots already, you have quite a lot of changes, but now if we put both of these together and blast, like use, these two quite different sequences to then go to the next level and see what's similar to them. And doing this, they were able to find um, some of the securins already from um, vertebrates, humans and mouse. So doing this, this few iterations, just a few of them, they were able to um, connect the sequences. They couldn't connect it to all of them. Um, and it, there's definitely a lot of evidence that there's been a lot of changing in the securins over time, but they could at least see remote sequence similarity as they called it between the patronuses and okay. um, this, the, the securins but basically over the entire um like the kingdoms they really have this like conserved ken box uh ken sorry sequence and the d boxes these destruction things i think um and a glu uh, glutamic acid at a certain position but basically 
there's there's not much similarity but you can find them by blasting so that does suggest that they are related they've just like diverged a lot but it's it's a bit tricky and i think like um yeah they then kind of summarize all of the different um evidence that they produced to show that the the patronuses are pretty much like the securins i don't think i'll go through that um but they commented about the fact that there's not a lot of uh, similarity between the the patronus and the securins and one of the 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 prob- the possibilities is that the securin interacts with the separase but it's not really probably it doesn't actually have catalytic activity so the securin itself is mostly acting like a substrate so it's acting more like a or a pseudo substrate but it's acting more like in a structural way as opposed to acting like with activity it doesn't yeah. actually yeah it doesn't have an enzymatic activity this is what they say um so because of that probably there's not much pressure on any of its specific sequences um to keep it from drifting randomly and changing its sequence over time on the other hand the kind of opposite argument could be that securins are really important in regulating cell cycle, but they also need to be very important. They also need to be regulated heavily under stressful situations because that's when things become a bit more dire, as we mentioned. So then they said maybe they actually have a lot of selection pressure and they're evolving much more rapidly because of the selection pressure um, because they need to be specialized under mm-hmm. these different environments, um, which is different, of course, for all different species. Um, and they say that some of the evidence that could support this is the fact that the the Pantronus mutants were hypersensitive to stresses. The ones in rice also were actually found based on their their stress sensitivity. So maybe actually they have this extra need to be more adapted to different environments and therefore they're changing more rapidly. So it's kind of two slightly opposite arguments, but both of them are could be quite valid. And yeah. It's like an interesting. Yeah. But anyway, I think I think they managed to be quite convincing that Patronus is securing in the plant world, and yeah, I think it's quite a nice paper. It's got quite yeah. a lot of information in it, and nice. It's got a cool name. And I just looked up um, if Voldemort can actually produce a Patronus. Okay. And it says here on Quora. Which I mean, is, of course he can, right? No, uh, they say um, he was probably capable of doing that, but he never considered it a worthy spell because he was so like he. He was so proud of like the the high level wizardry that he probably never tried a Patronus because he thought it's beneath him, and therefore um, he probably could never make one while he wasn't a bat with it wizard. And once he turned bat, um, he he became an ally with the um, Dementors and therefore didn't need one anymore. So this Quora article says he <laughs> never did did uh, create a Patronus, but if he would have done it, it was would have probably been a serpent. But yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so much for the research on Voldemort and Patronuses, which I think um, is a little bit less exciting than the Patronus from Molecular Biology. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's a well-timed musical break for some chocolate. I feel a bit like maybe we didn't show enough respect to the, those scientists oh, by font. <laughs> No, I, said, I, I said that their story is more exciting than the answer from Voldemort. More exciting than Harry Potter. That's like more famous than Jesus. Like this is yeah. Beatles level of cool there. Yeah, that means they will sell millions of copies of their paper. <laughs> no, it's open access. They, they will, can't sell them. There will be a musical number soon. <laughs> eh? uh, there is, is, there, is the, the Harry Potter musical. The oh, thing. I thought you meant Jesus Christ Superstar. No, mm. no, I meant now the Harry Potter. Like the Didn't you go to the, like, the Cursed Child thing in London? Is that a musical? I thought that was a play. 
I don't know. I mean, I clearly didn't go. So yeah. Or if the, I went, I slept. No, you saw the other thing. You saw the other hype thing, Hamilton. I saw Hamilton. Yeah. So good. <laughs> I really don't care for American history, so the Hamilton never. No, but that's the whole point. You don't have me. to care for Hamilton, like, like. Okay, so it's still exciting, even it's, if you. It's really good, and it's like it's. I mean, you probably have to care a little bit for music. Like, if you hate all musicals, it's maybe not for you. But it's different oh, from I, every musical. Still, it has like a lot of different genres. Yeah, and it's and, rap music, right? Yeah, I like rap music. I mean, some of it's rapping, not all of it. But yeah, yeah, it's it's really good. I mean, it's a bit problematic that now everything I know about American history is is from Hamilton the musical. <laughs> like, I can tell you who who drew or who made the American flag because it's a line that's like waving Betsy Ross's flag high. So I'm like, okay. Betsy Ross, that's like, <laughs> but like this is lit, like if somebody says something about America, I'm like, mm, it's either <laughs> Hamilton or this this Gone with the Wind movie, which is I have never, I haven't seen neither. So Gone with the Wind is very hard because it's from the point of view of the people in the South who are really pro keeping slaves, yeah. and I watched it when I was young, and I was like, are these the good? How are these the? How are these possibly the good guys? Like, why? Why am I trying to? Why am I supposed to care about these people? They are clearly horrible. Like, I hope the good guys win and they can keep all the slaves. Yeah, it's like I didn't really understand it, and also like, I mean, growing up in Australia, we didn't have any American history, so I just didn't understand like what, what, and why, and why. <laughs> like, mm. Yeah, and yeah, I don't know if. Yeah, I don't know if I will have the chance to see Hamilton anytime soon, I think. It's expensive. Yeah, it's ex it's expensive. It's not in and Germany. And if they would bring it to Germany, it would probably be in a horrible translation and I will not want to see that then. There's not really much theatre in Germany, though. It's not like you have like a... a no, we have plenty of theatres and musical theatres. Where? Yeah. In all in over Hamburg? Germany. Like, yeah, like many places are famous for... Like, I think Katz is in Hamburg and then we had... Mm. Something in Berlin and there's something in, in West Berlin, Germany. In Berlin, you just had Ghost the Musical for like five years. Like this, literally. Been and we had the vampire thing in the <laughs> in the uh, theater of the West. There was the Tanz der Vampire, like Dance of the. Yeah, but it's not vampires. like Les Miserables or like. No. It's no. And I think we had the was the Lion King here or somewhere else in Germany. So we had. A, I think in Hamburg, maybe Hamburg is the place to go in Germany. I think no, Berlin uh, in, is not. In West Germany, there's also um, the the one where they go on roller skates, Starlight Express. It's also in, in Germany. Again, this is not like, it's not wicked. It's not Phantom of the Opera. It's not like. It's great. It's people on roller skates going in circles and singing about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan of like the musicals that we find here. I like them a lot. And I have now a friend who, I have several friends who like them a lot, which is really great. Like now I'm like. No, I mean, in general, in general, I like musicals and especially like musical episodes of TV shows. Favorite, like no Buffy. matter. Yeah, Buffy, absolutely. But also for like in, in Scrubs, I quite liked it. Then there's one in How I Met Your Mother. That's What's pretty the good. Scrubbed one? Scrubbed in, one. in Scrubs, there's a musical episode where I don't know what the topic of the the episode is I just know like some tidbits like the uh, Carla is like sitting in a chair the entire time because uh, she she broke her pelvis prior to filming and mm -hmm. she wanted to take part in the episode and so they like rewrote it a little bit so she didn't really have to dance mm -hmm. um, although she has some musical numbers with uh, with Turk um, but anyway <laughs> sorry guys my favorite plant we deviated quite a bit from my favorite plant <laughs> yeah. what's your favorite plant today Yara? my favorite plant today is a very well prepared uh, plant it's a bird of paradise plant um, which 
Wait, it sounds like you're dissing the plant there, where like you're the one who's not prepared. The plant I'm is not fine. prepared. I'm not prepared. The plant is amazing. Um, especially um, like I took this now by browsing through the book that we talked about in the previous episode, the Weird Plants book. But uh, looking, seeing the bird of paradise reminded me of a meme that somebody uh, shared online. Um, where they figured out why the plant is called like a bird of paradise and it's a very mm. lovely drawing and it's like actually a bird that's like sort of diving in flight and the, the bird of paradise plant has these petals that stick up in, in very colorful ways and it looks like a bird sort of flying with his wing stretched up and like diving for something but then um, this person who drew this meme always thought it was the other way it was the head of a bird with like a very fancy hairdo and like a completely this kind ridiculous of puppet looking like something from Sesame Street with like yes. fluffy little feathers on his hair <laughs> We'll put a link to the meme in the, in the in the show notes. You can have a look at it. And so, yeah, I always when I see this plant, I always have to think of like the ridiculous bird instead of the beautiful like like diving bird there. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much all I know about this plant. I can read a little bit from the book. It says it grows to up to two meters in height, and um, it's a um, plant that gl- grows in the Cape provinces of South Africa. Uh, yeah, I will not f- uh, fully read the text here, but yeah, it's it's just a l- very nice looking plant and a plant that has memes is a plant that I like. I also like the actual bird that's the bird of paradise. There's this like guy with, um, he's like mostly black and he has these like blue bits and it's the one that puts his wings out and like does this <laughs> really cool dancing. Like this is, I mean, I think there's like many bird of paradise, like it's kind of a group, but yeah, it's a family of birds. So there's a couple of them, but there's one that, yeah. And I think they all have a very, uh, fancy feather colors or fancy mating behaviors mm-hmm. and yeah and there's the one with the black dots there's some amazing youtube videos <laughs> and we have a friend um who's really into this type of bird it's a victorious rifle bird mm-hmm. and uh, i think we should put that video on the show notes yeah. as well because that's like there's a few things on youtube that just make me happy every single time i see them and this is one of those things where like I can't be... It's like that and gangster cat yeah gangster Taylor swift goats <laughs> mm. Um, we will. I think we will talk about Gangster Cat later again, um, and then we also can put a link in the show notes there. Let me mm. just write down a note for. Okay, links. so Strelitzia is the actual classification, the genus of the yeah the bird of paradise, the, yeah. the plant, one, well, not the bird. Yeah, um, Strelitzia. I just I, I moved away again from the wiki article about the flower and to the one about the birds. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, there are five species and some hybrids. Although one of the the species is part of the other species. And it's a floral emblem of the city of Los Angeles. Really? It says so on Wikipedia. I know anyone can edit it, but um, Mm. it's probably true. Okay. There's probably a source for it. Do we have some? Should we go to fun facts? Let's go to fun let's, facts. Let's let's go to fun facts. I also I think I want to have a new jingle. But now we get take the old weird jingle. I could take the summer break to make some new jingles. Yeah. I feel like the jingles depend a lot on your mood on the day. Like, yeah. So they're like, oh, I'm just gonna be like grungy. <laughs> I have a fact about global warming again. Shall I share it? <laughs> Now that you said, I'm depressed already, so let's talk I mean, about it's, it. It's kind of fascinating. It is a bit depressing, but it's it's fascinating. So this one is, uh, I found it via the Telegraph. Um, it's the UK newspaper. Mm-hmm. I don't know how reliable. Is it reliable? I, I, can, I can never tell with like the new UK newspapers. Okay. I, I hope that- it's not some bullshit that they do have a science <laughs> editor, but I hope it's not some like extreme white I hope it's not wing. Boris Johnson. <laughs> yeah, I hope it's not just like Boris Johnson's personal um, newspaper. <laughs> Um, anyway, this is 
uh, entitled Deadly Fungal Infection is First to Emerge Because of Global Warming, scientists believe. So it's written by Sarah Knapton over at um, The Telegraph. And it's talking about a fungus, which is Candida auris. So it's this kind of yeast family of fungus. Mm -hmm. um, and Candida is also, I think, thrush. Like the thrush. Do you want to look I'm that up for me instead of just like... Yeah. It's just like looking at me with a stupid <laughs> like eh. That's just I, my face to you and I can't change it. I feel like it's um yeah, I think it's thrush. Yeah. Anyway. Um and basically yeah, Candida obicans. There we go. Um so this one is Candida auris. Anyway, it's the idea is that mostly fungal infections are not a huge problem on humans. So we're attacked by a lot of, like like the things that are really deadly to us. Mostly, it's, it tends to be bacteria, and it's not so often fungus. Yeah. And one of the reasons it's not so often fungus is because fungi like it where it's cold and damp. Yeah. So the dampness, you know, that's why sometimes you get fungus in cavities where you don't want fungi, and also like in your toes when there's too much sweat there. So yeah. they need it wet and 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 also cool. So most fungi they they grow at like more like twenty eight degrees, not at thirty seven degrees. So if you work in in like biology field, you know that you have like a hot room where you grow bacteria, and that's thirty seven degrees. That's like human body temperature degrees. But if you want to grow yeast, they grow at twenty eight degrees, something like this. So it's a bit cooler. And the idea is that because of global warming, certain species of fungi are getting gradually more adapted in the world to living in hotter environments. And Yay. that might allow them to extend their, um, their territory into humans. Um, so back in 2009, there was um, this fungus identified inside the ear of a 70-year-old woman in Japan. Um, and since then, it's been detected in different continents um, several outbreaks, more than 200 patients infected and maybe some even deaths, so eight people. This um, sounds like the beginning of a game of... Uh, how I, I slip... Outbreak or something. Yeah, outbreak. There's a... Uh, continue talking. I okay, so basically <laughs> the problem is that like fungi are not always... They're not going to behave like bacteria and this can be quite alarming because this fungus is already proved to be resistant to many of the, the well the three main classes of of drugs that we use generally so it's just kind of a an alert thing of like now that we have these changing conditions there are some possible risks that we have to be aware of so yeah I thought that was quite interesting yeah and terrifying a little bit there's plague in is the game Okay. And it's like it exists as like mobile games and desktop games and I think even as board games uh, where you play a disease and you have to conquer the world and spread and then kill everyone. Yeah, so 10 years ago if you're playing that game using a fungus would not have been a good strategy because you would have only been able to affect like the damp areas. Turns out now those fungi have global warmed themselves, leveled up and um, <laughs> can make it into like out of the tropics. Is there anything good about global warming? Um, no. Okay, something something more upbeat maybe. <laughs> um, let me let me look at my fun facts that I, I research if there's something more upbeat. I mean, I found some. It's like a very short thing where somebody shared uh, um, a journal for, on on Twitter for, that's called Mankind Quarterly, and they they <laughs> they shared the the study that's titled "Populations with Higher Average Intelligence Are Healthier, But Do They Smoke Fewer Cigarettes?" And unfortunately, I can't really answer that because the only thing you can see on that website is um, the abstract. And in the abstract, they don't answer the question. And then to download the PDF, you have to get a login, but it doesn't say anywhere how to get a login. I think it's one of these predatory journals. But then I looked at the other thing, articles that they publish. 
and there were some fun, uh, some things. Uh, I would guess, but if the question, if the title is, but do they, they couldn't tell, they, they couldn't make a strong correlation because if they were like, if they could tell one way or other really obviously, they would say, and they smoke more cigarettes or like... But a lot, I think the entire thing of Mankind Quarterly is to sort of relate cognitive abilities to different other traits, like in this case, like intelligent people do they smoke more or less which could be a valid question but if you look at the other things here it's like first names cognitive ability and social status in denmark is another mm. study it sounds then, like it's going to go suspiciously into like classism and like eugenics bullshit quite even fast, better right? the relationship between intelligence head circumference body weight oh, and no. height in libya is one study and just next to it probably back-to-back publishing because they researched a similar topic is positive correlations between head circumference height and intelligence new evidence from a high school in egypt hmm. <laughs> so it's a fun little it's, journal what's it called phrenology <laughs> like if you we should, should do be. it on your baby like does he have the right <laughs> circumference of head to make him intelligent or is he a psychopath and all of the... these are just abstracts there's no way to read the paper behind it's all bullshit science so in, as a disclaimer we haven't read the papers we don't know if it's a real paper or a real journal we are a bit scared. It's it's like they have a website. I think in in my interpretation, it's probably one of these like either complete bullshit journals or one of the predatory ones where people with like questionable motivations publish. So they I can wonder have if it's like a womankind list. weekly, and it's all just about like uterine shape and whether that makes you like a bad mother or you know yeah. from her hips, can you tell if she's <laughs> likely to be promiscuous or something like this? <laughs> yeah. So that's my like weird fun fact. <laughs> Um, I guess I have another one which I saw on uh, popular science, popsci.com. And this was just looking at designer plants could help you do your laundry. Um, and I only wanted to mention it because it's something that um, my my working group has been interested in, which is the idea of using plants as biofactories. So you basically express some product that you want, an, an enzyme, a protein or a metabolite, and you make plants do all of the work as far as expressing the, the thing and this can be quite helpful because a lot of the chemicals um, which have use like pharmacologically or in, in different um, processes they can be quite tricky to make from a chemical point of view you need really specialized enzymes um, to to make them in the organism and outside of the organisms it's just a lot of work to get yeah. the right structures put on in the right places to, to have the, the right final product um, and this one is just the idea of producing something called cell 6A um, inside the chloroplast of tobacco. Um, and the interesting thing about cell um, 6A is that it helps break things down and is therefore useful in laundry detergents, which I think is super cool. This idea of just like making tobacco plants something that can help you clean your clothes. Um, and I also like about the article a lot that it starts with the phrase, tobacco is the deadliest plant in the world. Yeah, I read that about 10% of all deaths annually uh, can be attributed somehow to smoking tobacco. This one says, yeah, responsible for the demise of more than 7 million people a year, which I, I don't know how many people die a year. Obviously yeah. more than that, but um, yeah. But it's it's quite interesting, like as somebody who does a lot of research in tobacco, when we say, oh, we research tobacco, it was like, oh no, like, no, please, but it's making, so bad. We're making super tobacco that yeah. gives you mega cancer. It's like it's not like I'm like chain smoking while I'm telling you, I'm, and then we have to explain. Well, you know, like we know tobacco makes cigarettes, but actually we're not doing that. We like it for this and this and this. But they've just like got this kind of like, yeah. I mean, 
it's a weird it's a weird idea it's just yeah it has some hist- historical basis right it's mostly the chloroplast biotechnology that's possible in tobacco and not mm-hmm. in so many other plants because it's also it's an annoying plant to grow uh, to to work with it's at a times pain in the Batman. yeah it just it just makes a lot of leaf material which is an advantage but that's pretty much where the advantages end and um, I have uh, two rants, uh, one for this week, one for next week. You can choose between one and two, and then we can... Can you give me the topics of one and two? Um, where is the fun in that? Now, the, the first one is about uh, CRISPR legislators figuring out that... <laughs> that one, I want that one. Okay. This is so, a new... Okay, I think I know what the rant's about, basically. Is this, this idea that we have to be able to prevent... CRISPR edited stuff from coming into Europe because yeah. Europe is like super anti-CRISPR. Yeah. But the problem is a lot of the CRISPR edited stuff it basically has one base pair different, like yeah. compared to or, the non-CRISPR. Or let's, very let's few, say, like in a very in range of less than ten base pairs difference. Like yeah. And the question is like, how do you even find that? Given that normal plants anyway have different mutations and different changes. And during breeding, you're selecting for changes just like the ones you can introduce with genome editing or with CRISPR. And there's an article on Nature that we will link um, that where a couple of people from legislative bodies in Europe talked about the problems that they have now because last year in summer, the European Court of Justice was like, hey, CRISPR is evil. CRISPR is uh, gene technology. Gene technologies must not be used in the EU. And now the people who are actually enforcing this try to figure out how because if um, a tanker uh, or uh, yeah lands in in Germany or in a European at a European border and they try to figure out if the grain that they have loaded is genome edited or not and the papers don't state anything or they have a suspicion that the papers might be forged then there's no way to figure that out because it, it is pretty much um, biologically identical to a regularly bred plant mm. line and you can't tell the, the method of plant breeding by looking at the result um and now there's people suggesting different things. Some think that you should uh, introduce transgenic sequences as tags in there. So you, you come up with this entire method that doesn't require transgenics to work. Mm. And then in the end, you put in a transgenic tag so that people that are afraid of the changes that you did in the plant, that they can still track these plants. So you turn And also, m- obviously, like if I don't believe in their stupid regulations, I also wouldn't put the tag in right like yeah i mean obviously there, there should be legislation to make people put the tag in but but if they don't if it's different countries like the u.s where they don't have such strict regulation why would they then like also in other places there is a difference between um creating like genome edited plants and genome um, um transgenic plants so yeah in th- australia now crispr is like yeah cri- fallen on the better side they're like okay it's it's yeah and so why would anyone who creates uh, like um, seed lines why would they introduce a transgenic sequence that would block it from market access in many places just so they could bring it to the EU um, so this is no, but this just so that they, they couldn't bring it to the EU just so that they could be prevented from bringing it to yeah, the EU right yeah. like I mean exactly like, just from it has no purpose except to block themselves from their local markets because anyway the EU wasn't going to take them in the first place so they're just making their own crop worse yeah and they anyway cancel on that market so why why yeah. would they obey the rules of that market when they're anyway blocked from that market? Plus people who say, uh, who, who think that transgenic plants are bad, then they have a reason to really think that also genome edited plants are bad because they're transgenic, now because they, they have a transgenic tag <laughs> in they them. they are actually like, so, more transgenic. So this is, uh, it's a very stupid idea. Um, I mean, it can all be solved. Like, there's a really easy solution, right? Yeah, we just don't... We Im- just trust. <laughs> we yeah. just trust that... We just hope that the certification, that nobody gets the idea of just forging the I certification. I mean, it's, it's going to be like pinky promise system. Like, yeah. okay, you promise you didn't do anything. Okay, I pinky, okay, good. Like. 
And it's, yeah, and the whole basis is stupid because, like, why is something that can't be distinguished from something that's safe, Mm. why is it considered unsafe? Because if it would be unsafe and the other thing would be safe, we could distinguish the two, but we can't. So, like... It's a problem. (laughs) Yeah. So, this is my rant of this week. Um, We link to the article. It has way more, like, um, sources and talking to different people in the, like, in the world. Read the the informed people. Just, uh, the informed yeah. opinions of the people in the article and not just listen to your yeah. rants to get <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm not the best source for information I can just point you in the direction where you find good information and yeah this is just something I mean I also like I, I want to dis- uh, dis- disclaim disclaim is the right word right that uh, at work I work a lot with like uh, communicating plant research and we're doing a project on on uh, informing people also about CRISPR so this is something close to what I I've, I'm still doing until like tomorrow uh, for work work um so it's just something that gives me incredible frustration the entire dealing with the the outcome of this ruling from last summer because it has so many like um um, effects downstream where you just yeah you just face palm all day and just like why why are we making things so hard for us with like no benefit from it i don't care if we make things hard for us i care if we make things hard for other countries where they actually need resources like yeah i i mean Generally, in Europe, food security is not a problem yet. Like, yeah. as a like very broad statement, I don't care if we screw ourselves over. I do care if we start making legislation that's going to affect other countries where they might need, yeah, possibly improved crops. That's yeah. like my, yeah, yeah. Okay, I can add on a. I can end on a, a fun, non-related to plant science fact. I think you yeah. have a cat one, but you can do that for next week. I yeah, I, a, yeah. Let's do Mike this cat fact for next week. Do we have another cat fact for this week? Not, Otherwise, we'll just link. No, 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 no. It's, okay, it's it's not cats, but it's it's penguins. Okay, penguins are the cats of the sea. Um, so in Australia, we have these like tiny little penguins. They're called fairy penguins, or little blue f- um, penguins. And apparently they're also in New Zealand. So this is an article from um, RNZ, which is a, a New Zealand-based um, news website. And it's two little penguins that left their next nesting box. Boss, box, sorry. I'm just like, I'm so choked up with emotion. <laughs> little penguins. Um, <laughs> Need a tissue. Uh, in Wellington in New Zealand. Poor little and penguins. they went to a sushi store to get some sushi. <laughs> and they did it twice. So <laughs> they had to be like lured with some salmon and then captured so that the Department of Conservation could come and take them back. <laughs> but then they went back again. And I'm just like... It's a really cute image. These give, little, like, give them the penguins them some sushi. Look, look at them. It's like, <laughs> like this is this, like little penguins going on a date to the local sushi store, and then the owner's like, "No sushi for you," and they're like, "We're gonna try again." <laughs> like, and it's it was just, all the misunderstanding last time. Let's have some sushi. <laughs> and it's like there's <laughs> like a little one peering underneath the fridge to try and work out where the sushi is, and like biting. Anyway, oh. it's very cute. Penguins are really cute. Australia has the best penguins because they're small and blue, and they're the yeah. cutest things in the world. And they can't fly and it makes them walk so funny. Exactly. <laughs> okay, that's it for today. <laughs> that's it for today. Um, follow us on all of the social media. On Instagram and Facebook, we're at Plants and Pipettes. On Twitter, we're at Plants Pipettes. Um, we also have www.plantsandpipettes.com where we blog. We write about things. Yes, we and have. We put our, post, our podcast up there as well. We have a couple of uh, blog posts every week um, where we talk more about plant science. Um and is there something opening music is and closing music is Caravana by Philip Gross and that's it right see you next week (laughs) whoa bye guys (laughs)